The following is a conversation with Adam Blumberg. Adam Blumberg is a co-founder of PlannerDAO, a decentralized community of financial service professionals. This community created the Certified Digital Asset Advisor designation. I've been lucky enough to know Adam for the past two years, and Adam approaches the crypto space with an opportunistic realism that has helped shape the perspective of financial professionals all over the world. When approaching new technologies and new business models, Adam has the great ability to take the hype and emotion out of price speculation. You will leave this podcast with the knowledge of what staking is, what the current state of staking is, and what tools you will need to explain staking to others. This episode is largely informational, and as this podcast progresses, we will be taking a variety of different approaches for how advisors and everyday people can engage with crypto. Without further ado, Here's my conversation with Adam Blumberg. All right, so welcome to this um, second edition of the Bengals Advisor podcast. Here I have Adam Blumberg. And just first off, I want to give Adam a quick 30 to 30 seconds to a minute to explain who he is. So here you go, Adam. All right. Thanks, Anthony. So I am a, um, I was a, I'm a recovering financial advisor. And now the, the role that I've given myself is help to educate uh, other financial advisors, uh, other financial professionals on crypto, how to, how to make it a part of their practice, and most importantly, how to bring it to their clients in a way that's you know, safe, secure, and, and they can help get them into uh, this, this financial system we have. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so now let's get into like, what is staking? Because with all of this recent legislation, it's, um, you know, it's kind of crazy how much the SEC is like saying, having their opinions on certain things such as Kraken, such as Coinbase. But let's first get into what is staking. Okay, so staking, and, and probably in the way that we're talking about in this terms, is, is probably ETH staking, right? And that's um, there's because within DeFi you have to delineate between actual staking in in this realm on you know what we say like a layer one um protocol staking versus other types of staking within within DeFi, which is you know basically just you know other ways to try to earn money but we'll go back so staking in this case in terms of ethereum uh or or there are other chains which kraken was using which we'll talk about later there are other chains which utilize staking or the proof of stake uh, algorithm. So staking in this say, in this sense refers to proof of stake. Um, and if we go back a little bit, Anthony, their Bitcoin started proof of work, right? As a consensus algorithm. And what that means yes. is, is to have a network where you want a decentralized group. So you want a random group of a whole bunch of people with their computers to be able to process transactions. Okay. You need to have some, uh, some way for them to agree on what the next transaction is. You need to have some way mm -hmm. for them to agree. And that's, that's what we call consensus. And in the, in the case of Bitcoin, we use something called proof of work, which is a computer has to do some sort some bit of math, some bit of algorithm, prove that it's done that and then it gets the right to process transactions and in processing those transactions it earns a reward 
And on the Bitcoin network, the reward is Bitcoin. Okay, so proof of work, I did the work, I get a reward. It's no different than you and I going to work every day and getting paid a salary for what we do. We did the work, we get paid for it. Okay, so that's the way Bitcoin mm -hmm. started working and that's the way Bitcoin still works. It's a bunch of computers that are all interconnected. They all try to do the work. One of them gets rewarded every 10 minutes being the one that gets to process the transactions. But the goal is there's this incentive mechanism that says we need a whole bunch of people to connect their computers to process transactions. Okay. So it sounds like we need to understand proof of work first in order to understand proof of stake. Right. And, and a, big a big reason why I feel we need to do that is because Ethereum up until September of last year was a proof of work network as well. Ethereum used miners. It, it, it utilized proof of work as well. And the, the important reason why we have to talk about that is in, in the blockchain sense, it's the consensus algorithm. It, and in that sense, it's here's how we are moving the network forward. Here's how we're processing transactions. And here's how we're keeping it safe and secure. Right? Because remember, there is no one company that runs Bitcoin and there's no one company that runs Ethereum. Okay, the idea is yeah. the more people that are connected helping to run it, the safer it is. Because if there are more people connected helping to run it, it's much, much harder for someone to take over that network and make it their own. Okay, so mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of moving, moving the transactions forward, keeping track of what's going on, and keeping it safe and secure at the same time. That's what the consensus has to do. That's what the algorithm has Correct. to do. And in order to get all those people or computers or whatever they are to agree, we are going to try to move this forward and we're going to try to keep it safe and secure, you have to give them some sort of incentive to do that. People don't mm -hmm. just do that out of the goodness of their heart. All right, they do it because mm -hmm. there's some sort of incentive. On the Bitcoin network, the incentive was Bitcoin. And a lot of people had to have yes. a lot of faith that Bitcoin would have value at some point. And they were, they were, they've been rewarded for it. Ethereum the same way. The value, the incentive you get for deciding, I'm going to help keep this safe and secure. I'm going to help push transactions forward. The incentive you get is more ETH, which is the native cryptocurrency of the Ethereum network. So September of last year, Ethereum moved from proof of work to proof of stake. So the, the, if I can make it hopefully as simple as possible to understand. And I know this will be overly simplified. So if anyone's listening and says, mm -hmm. that's not how Ethereum works, I'm trying to make it incredibly over, overly simplified. So most people who have not gone down the rabbit holes that we've gone down will be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the way proof of stake works is instead of having to connect a whole bunch of computers and have them use a lot of energy and, and process, you know, do all these algorithms and process transactions, what we're saying is instead of that, I'm going to take the, the, Ethereum I have, the ETH I have, and I'm going to throw it into a pool and you're going to throw yours in, into a pool and Steve's going to throw his into a pool and a whole bunch of people are going to throw theirs into this pool. And, and essentially it's going to be like for every, it's going to be like a, um, uh, almost like a ping pong ball lottery. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, like a raffle. And for every dollar I throw in, I get a raffle ticket. If I throw in $1,000, I get 1,000 raffle tickets. If you throw in $10,000, you get 10,000 raffle tickets. Everyone gets a raffle ticket. And what we're all trying to do is we, I want my raffle ticket drawn such that I get to process the next block of transactions. At random, I, you get rewarded. Exactly. That's my reward. Okay. So I've put my $1,000 in there. You've put your $10,000 in there. Steve's put in his $5,000. Okay. Everyone's put their money in. Now we're ready to draw a ticket. 
right? So we draw a ticket. Now I've put a thousand, you've put in 10, so you've put in five. I get some, I, I have some percent of the actual raffle tickets in there. I have X percent chance of actually being the one that processes an X block and therefore wins a reward. And the reward, of course, mm -hmm. is more ETH. So that's what proof of stake is. You're saying, all right, you, you, Anthony, are going to stake your money. You're going to stake your ETH in this case. And your reward will be your reward for staking it. Your reward for saying, I'm not going to go trade my ETH right now. I'm not going to go do anything else with it. I'm going to put it into this pool in the hopes that I'm, I'm helping to secure the network. I'm helping to process transactions so that we don't have to ask Amazon or Google or Bank of America to do it so that we can make it decentralized. Your reward, Anthony, for doing that is if one of your 10,000 raffle tickets is the one that gets drawn, you're the one who gets to process the next block and you're the one who wins mm -hmm. the ETH as a reward. That's your incentive. But okay. the other part of staking, just to make perfectly clear, Anthony, is if in doing that, one of the transactions that you processes, process ends up being fraudulent, right? Or ends up, ends up being a hack or, some, or an exploit or something like that, you can have mm -hmm. your stake taken away. So you put in your $10,000, you got your 10,000 raffle tickets, okay? If we, and, and your raffle ticket gets drawn. Then we look at the transactions and we go, all right, Anthony, you won. However, you put in this fraudulent transaction. Therefore, we're not going to give you your $10,000 back, right? Okay. Because yeah. that's the staking part. There has to be an incentive for you to, to put in your ETH, in this case, to try to earn more ETH. But there has to be the disincentive that says we can't have you doing negative things. Okay. okay. The disincentive on the proof of work network. Okay. If we go back to Bitcoin and how Ethereum used to be, the disincentive was it cost me money to run a computer. It cost me energy. I had to buy that computer, all those things. And proof of stake, it doesn't cost me very much money to do this. Right. Okay. I don't have to use a computer or anything like that. It, it's, it's very, uh, it, it's, it's not very labor intensive. It's not very cost intensive. Mm -hmm. So, there has to be a disincentive. And the disincentive is I can have my money, my stake taken away if what I do is fraudulent. Okay, that's really okay. important. That's the staking. <clears throat> so yeah. that, that's what we're doing. And that's, that's the underlying reason why staking is so important because it moves the network forward and it keeps it safe and secure. Now, for most mm -hmm. people, what they hear is, oh, I can put up my money and earn more money. Yeah. Right? Because that was yeah. what I was going to get to with the rewards. So putting your money into this pool, what does that look like? Like what are, what's going on? Okay. So we will again, go back a little bit because I, I like to go back to the beginning a little bit. If I want to be quote an ETH validator, if I want to be one of these people running a pool, I have to, I, at the time had to have 32 ETH, right. And 32 mm -hmm. ETH. Now I think ETH is at something like $1,700 at, at the time you and I are talking. I don't know what that works out to dollar wise, but most people don't have that. Mm -hmm. So what, you, what I can do, what you and I can do, not having 32 ETH is go, look, I can take my ETH and I still want to stake it. I still want to earn some sort of reward, four or 5%, whatever it is, because that's what mm -hmm. the, the rewards are right now. I still want to potentially earn a reward for staking my ETH. Look, if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to hold on to my ETH anyway and not sell it, I might as well earn a little bit on it, right? Yeah. Same thing I'd do with dollars. If I had $100,000 lying around, I'd probably find a way to earn something on it, not just have it sit in the bank account. Same thing with my ETH. However, I don't have enough 
to have my own validator node, nor do I, I have the technical expertise. So what can I do? Whether it was previously with Kraken, which we'll talk about later, I can do it with Coinbase, I can do it with something like Rocket Pool or Lido, and we'll talk about those in a, in a little while, but I can mm -hmm. delegate it to someone else. I can go, look, I'm gonna throw mine in, I'm gonna throw my one, in, one ETH in with Anthony's one ETH and Steve's two ETH and all those, and they're gonna go into a bigger pool that might have a thousand ETH in it. And that bigger pool obviously has a bigger chance of being that one raffle ticket that's drawn. And if mm -hmm. that if that bigger pool wins is that one raffle ticket, it takes that reward and it distributes it among everyone in the pool based on how much they contributed. Okay. So that's essentially what staking ETH is, is I'm saying, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything with ETH right now. I'm not gonna sell it, I'm gonna hold it for a while. Therefore, I'm gonna stake it and I'm gonna try to earn a little bit on it. I don't have enough money to have my own staking pool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to somebody else for them to do it and have it be part of a bigger uh, a, a bigger raffle set, basically. Yes. Okay. Right. So so it's the equivalent of when the office gets together and pools money to buy a bunch of lotto tickets, right? Like I could go buy two lotto tickets myself, or I can go in with the rest of the office and we can buy fifty lotto tickets. And yeah, if we win, I have to split it with ten other people in the office, but I have a much bigger chance of of winning the lottery. At that point okay mm -hmm. it's essentially that what, makes sense. that's what i'm doing okay and so from a client perspective if you're putting your own funds into this pool what sort of rewards are you expecting to get from these pools like what what percentage or is it variable or is it like a fixed rate how does it, that work so it, it's relatively variable right it, it's variable depending on how much ETH is staked at, at any one time. It's variable. You know, it has several. It has some variability to it, right? Uh, it's variable somewhat based on uh, how many transactions are, are are going through the network, right? Right now, it's it's running about four to five percent. Okay, mm -hmm. but it changes a little bit. It could be four. It could be five. It could be six. There are times I think where people have hypothecated it goes up to eight or nine or something like that, depending on how much ETH is staked at any one point. But it depends on globally how much ETH is staked. If a whole bunch of people unstake their ETH at any one moment and I leave mine in, well, I have a better chance of winning and therefore I, I can probably earn a little bit more. Okay. Okay. That so it's sense. a little bit, it's a little bit based on that. There's no set number. And whoever is running the pool gets to keep a little cut of that. So if I'm staking with Coinbase or I'm staking with Rocket Pool or something, they're they are taking a little, little, little piece of what the pool earns in rewards. Just like, you know, you might say, look, if, if we win the lottery, if, if our office wins the lottery and it's a hundred million dollars and there's 10 of us, the, the person who collected the money and the person who went to the convenience store and did all that, they're going to get an extra hundred grand or something because they did that work, mm -hmm. right? It, it's that equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so when we're talking about like pulling all of this money, you've mentioned a couple firms like Coinbase, Kraken, um, Binance, I think you said, um, like these are the most popular places to stake your tokens in these custodian exchanges. So does this hurt the idea of de like decentralization? Uh, are you asking for my opinion or are you asking for fact or, or what? <laughs> um, like in, yeah. in, in theory guess, it does, right? Because if I have my money, yeah. if I, in theory, it, it does a little bit because mm -hmm. If I buy my ETH from, I'll use Coinbase in, in this case. If I buy my ETH from Coinbase and then I stake it there with Coinbase, right? It all stays within this centralized exchange that is Coinbase, this publicly traded company mm -hmm. in the US 
They're subject to different rules and regulations. The government could theoretically shut them down at any one point. I don't know what happens to my money. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it goes a little bit in the face of what DeFi is supposed to be, right? Having all mm -hmm. these centralized entities. But what it, all, what it also does is it makes it so much easier for people, for more people to stake their assets, to stake their ETH. And therefore, in theory, yeah. it keeps the network safer. Okay. Right. So in, in this sense, the centralization helps create a more decentralized opportunity for people? Would that be uh, fair it, to say? It, it does a little bit. Yeah, it, it does somewhat. Yes, because okay. you just have more people staking. Now, if I stake my one ETH through Coinbase, I don't have a say in the network, right? Coinbase, mm -hmm. on the other hand, they, they, have some, they have some say in what goes on a little bit more because they have so much ETH that is staked with them. They have so, such a huge part of the pool. And mm -hmm. what we have, Anthony, is this kind of ebb and flow in, in this kind of game theory, right? That says, look, if the top staking pools end up with so much ETH that two of them control over half of the network, you go, all right, well, those two have, you know, could get together theoretically and decide the direction of the Ethereum network, right? They could decide what, mm -hmm. they could decide almost everything at that point. Um, yeah. and, and at that point, there, there has to be a point where people go, well, we don't like that. That's not good. Even though it's convenient for me to stake with, with Binance or, or with Coinbase, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that because I don't want Coinbase to have such an outsized position that they're able to somewhat control the network. Right. Okay. So there's this kind of ebb and flow that there's this game theory that goes on. And if there is like one or two that has so much control that they're able to control the network, well, then does ETH cease to have value? Does it cease to have as much value because it's not as decentralized? At that point, yep. I might as well just be using dollars and, and Chase Bank. Yeah. Right? Because okay. it, it defies the point. So just like, you know, with we, we see the same thing with Bitcoin, right? You hear people all the time say, you can have, like, theoretically, the, the Bitcoin uh, core team and the Bitcoin miners could decide there's going to be more than 21 million Bitcoin. But from a game theory, incentive theory perspective, they wouldn't do that because that would make their mm -hmm. Bitcoin worth zero. The moment they produce more than 21 million, it's worth zero because once they do it once, they can do it again. The moment that Coinbase or Lido or Rocket Pool or Binance or something has so much control over the network, it ceases to be worth anything because then it's, not just, it's just that company's network at that mm -hmm. point. Okay. And so you just mentioned um, Lido and Rocket Pool. And these are considered like decentralized staking services. Um, and how did these differ from the centralized services like Coinbase or Binance that most people have heard of? Um, the interestingly, especially from Coinbase, they don't differ all that much from like what Coinbase has. All right, but but Lido and and Rocket Pool basically decided we're going to create these. No, we're going to be validators, right? We're, we're going to mm -hmm. validate um, Ethereum transactions. We have at least 32 ETH. And then they've said, all right, we've set up this ability for you and me and everyone else to connect their wallet. And so now we're talking about a wallet, not an account like Coinbase. We're talking about a wallet like, like MetaMask. Um, via your wallet, you can actually stake your ETH in our pool. Right, so you okay. can go to Rocket Pool, you can go to uh, Lido, and decide I'm going to stake. You sign a transaction on Ethereum, 
which of course is more involved, right? I have to get my ETH off of Coinbase into my wallet. Then I have to know to go to Rocket Pool or Lido or whatever and stake my ETH. And I have to make sure I get to the right website that I'm not getting hacked or scammed or anything. I have to sign the transaction, uh, which involves me clicking, but I got to make sure I'm signing a, a valid transaction. And then in the, and, and then those organizations are relatively decentralized. Okay, mm -hmm. meaning what they're going to do is just they're, they're going to stake, like they, they, they have the, the infrastructure and everything they're going to stake. They're going to validate blocks on the network. And when they get rewards, it's going to go into this pool. And I have an interest in that pool by virtue okay. of the fact that I put one ETH in and the pool has a thousand ETH. I have 0.1% of that pool. Okay. So yes. whatever that pool earns, I get 0.1%. Okay, okay, so that's how they, they work in a decentralized way. And that's pretty much how Coinbase's work because Coinbase mm -hmm. kind of set theirs up that way. And we can go into in a little while why Kraken's was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess like recently there was um, on CNBC, Andrew Sorkin, um, he interviewed Gary Gensler, the SEC commissioner who um, started the $30 million fine of Kraken. Um and Andrew Sorkin asked Gensler to explain staking um, like I was five. Like, what did Kraken do in simple terms that a five-year-old could understand? Like, I'm giving you a shot at this. Okay. So I get to be Gary Gensler. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Yep. Congratulations. Um, so, it, and here's what Kraken did that's a little bit different. Okay. And, and why I'm not... Um, and I'll say this, and I don't know, maybe it's controversial in crypto circles, but I honestly think what Kraken was doing was something that probably should have been regulated and probably should have been a security. And, and, and I'll explain to you why. But what mm -hmm. you and I just talked about was how staking is supposed to be, right? I stake my ETH. I get, you know, the, the, the pool ends up getting 4.3% or whatever. Coinbase takes 0.3% off the top. I get four. If the pool took mm -hmm. five and Coinbase gets their 0.3%, I get 4.7, right? They're just passing it on to me. The difference mm -hmm. with what, uh, a little bit of what Kraken did, one, Kraken is a centralized entity. I mean, much like Coinbase is, but Kraken is an entity. And Kraken said, you give us your ETH, you put it in, in, in our wallet, and we're going to pay you 4%. Hand, like, so we're just going to pay you 4%. Fixed returns? Fixed returns. Yeah. Okay, that was a big deal. Where they were going to give you fixed returns. And if Kraken makes 5% or 7% or whatever, it doesn't matter. You're getting four. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is more like a fund. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and one that was not licensed. They didn't ask permission to do that. That is more like a fund. What and, and Kraken is really good about giving visibility into what they're doing, but technically. They could have done just about anything with that money. There were no agreements that I had with Kraken at the time that said, this is all you can do. You may only stake my ETH. And, and keep in mind, Kraken had other assets that were being staked too. It wasn't like their staking as a service wasn't just ETH. It was other mm -hmm. assets that they, that they were opening up to that. And so yeah. okay. they were, it was more like they were providing an investment product that said I could put my my crypto assets in there and they were going to give me more crypto assets at a, at a, I don't want to say guaranteed return, but a set return. And in theory, they could go do whatever they want. And I had very little visibility into what they were doing. Okay. Okay. And that's the same thing. Remember that Celsius and Voyager did, right? They said, you, mm -hmm. you we, we will pay you 
you know, 3% return on your Bitcoin in Bitcoin. And really what they did is they went and get, went invested all that money doing some really risky stuff, trying to earn much, much more than 3% with my money. Mm-hmm. They weren't going out and just lending it out and earning 4% and giving me three, nor were they saying, yeah. we're going to give you whatever percent we make minus, you know, a little haircut for us. Yeah. Right. So it's not a, a lack of lot. transparency there. Yeah, exactly. It's not a whole lot different. So I think the issue is not as much with the fact that what Kraken was doing with staking as a service was a secure, was, was a transaction that probably should have been registered. registered. It probably should have. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a security. It's more of that type of, of contract than what Coinbase is doing because Coinbase passes on almost exactly what they earn minus a tiny little piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kraken so, didn't, so how does Kraken didn't do yeah. that? The difference here is, and, and the the issue we we take with I think with what the SEC did was one, there wasn't like a whole lot of discussion. It was just like we're suing you. Mm-hmm. And two, what Gary Yensler said and what the SEC said was you should have come in and talked to us about it first. And what Kraken is saying was, and and what Hester Peirce said was, it wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't have approved it. You're not approving anything. We could have given every single disclosure to our clients. We could have done everything exactly right, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have mattered. You wouldn't have approved it. Yeah. And, and they're not saying we're doing it knowing it's illegal. We're saying you keep saying come in, and then you keep not letting us in. Yeah, okay. Is it, Do you think there's a reason for that? Or? I mean, like, I'm not going to kind of hypothesize yeah, on, on what the SEC is thinking, and I'm not going to sit here and... and bad mouth and all that because that's been done over and over and over again and i can't i have a tough time figuring out what the impetus is to but but it seems like there is this absolute campaign to completely get rid of crypto or make it so so difficult for anyone to use it or or innovate on it or anything in the u.s that it doesn't make financial sense anymore i don't i don't know what the impetus is for that i i can't tell Mm -hmm. you what it is Honestly, okay. Be, because in in, yeah. the, in history, the U.S. has been a country that's been all about technical innovation, and in this mm-hmm. case, we're not apparently. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and just for a second, let's take a step back from regulation and just look at. Um, Thank you. The tech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a deep breath. Uh, just take a step back and look more at the technology layer. Um, of how the staking system works and the correct ways of using it that, you know, Coinbase uses or Lido rocket pool with the proper disclosures, what technology risk is there when it comes to staking your tokens in these different either protocols or custodians? Um, Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll stick, we'll start with the custodians, right? Because that has probably Mm -hmm. the least amount of risk. So if I, if I go into Coinbase, I buy my ETH and then I, hit a little button that says stake your ETH, right? In the back end, Coinbase is probably moving that, is moving that to a a smart contract, right? Which is basically a pool, a a pool of money, but it's all digital that says, Mm -hmm. here's here's what this money is doing. We're staking it every block, which is every 13 seconds on Ethereum. We're trying to earn more money. And that, that contract says, we're going to keep whatever we earn in the pool. And we're, we are, technically going to give Adam a, you know, a token in return. So Adam has given us ETH. We're giving him a token in return that represents his 
contribution to this pool that Adam can mm-hmm. redeem at any time or whoever owns that token, whoever's, whoever has a token can redeem at any time for that proportion of the pool. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So, th- so the risk there is Coinbase has, you know, has to validate nodes and, and essentially has this, uh, has these smart contracts, which is essentially computer code. That computer code gets hacked or exploited and Coinbase has, you know, 10,000 ETH in there and it all gets drained out. And I have this token, I have this, this bit of paper, basically, this, this redemption t- tool that says, hey, and I walk up to Coinbase and I go, hey, remember, I get 0.1% of this pool. And Coinbase goes, cool, Adam, you get 0.1% of nothing because we got nothing in here. Yeah. I go, well, what, what the heck, what happened, right? So that's a little bit of a risk. Now, Coinbase, the difference is they have a tremendous amount of insurance and they have a tremendous amount of security and safety and all these things. Like they've been doing this a while and they custody so many billions of dollars worth of assets that they kind of know how to do it right. And they have insurance and all that. So there's not guarantees that I will get my money back even if they get hacked or exploited, but they have enough mm-hmm. insurance that they can probably cover something like that. Okay. And they have enough other income um, and other assets that they can cover something like that. So the risk is taken away a little bit. Now for that, they're going to take a little bit bigger cut of my profit, of, of my mm-hmm. fees that, that I would earn. Yeah. Of my yield. If we go to oh, the other one, the decentralized ones, right? If we move over there, uh, Rocket Pool, Lido and such. Now they're, they are decentralized entities, right? They're just code that was put out there on the Ethereum blockchain to run this. That is essentially, you know, kind of run by a few people, but it, it's code that's out there. Now, those smart contracts, that code can be hacked and exploited as well. The difference there is there's no company that says we are we bought insurance. We have enough other stuff coming in to cover this. If this gets mm-hmm. exploited and I got my little my little piece of paper that says, hey, I get 0.1% of the pool, and they go, Well, there's nothing in the pool, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Right. Yeah. So that, that's a big part of my risk. Now that that is after the fact, Anthony, that in order to get into these decentralized pools, remember, I've had to take my ETH off of Coinbase, you know, out of that account and move it onto a wallet, which is probably mm-hmm. either on my phone or on my computer, which is now kind of out there in the open and, and might have some risk to it. I've had to interact with the smart contract myself. This is not me just pushing a button on Coinbase. This is me going, all right, I got to have MetaMask and I got to sign a transaction and I got to make sure that I go to rocketpool.whatever and not rocketpool with a zero in it, which is a scam website or something. Like I have to make sure I'm going to the right website. I'm not getting scammed and hacked on the way to stake. So there there are things that Mm -hmm. can go wrong on the way to staking. Mm-hmm. There are things that can go wrong in my having my own wallet. I can lose my my seed phrase or something. I can I can accidentally give it away to someone. Um, there are all sorts mm-hmm. of other things that could happen along the way from a technological perspective that are risks that are not staking risks. They're just using DeFi risks. Yeah. Another risk. Yeah. There. Okay. And the benefit I get to undertaking those risks is I get a slightly higher percentage if I want, uh, b- because Coinbase takes a little bit bigger cut than Rocket Pool or Lido. Um, the other thing is you and I are talking, we're both here in the United States. We have access to Coinbase. We can do all these things. There are people elsewhere in the world that don't have access necessarily to, uh, to crypto exchanges that they can do that with as easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to have, they want to be on the DeFi system, right? The other part is maybe yeah. I want to do this without Coinbase looking over my shoulder or, or the risk that, 
hey, Coinbase, again, is a publicly traded entity. That means that the government can kind of do what they want. Right? If, if the government says, hey, Coinbase, we're shutting you down, Coinbase kind of has to comply. Mm -hmm. And yes. Lido and Rocket Pool don't because they're not U.S. entities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and so Lido and Rocket Pool don't directly have their own you know, insurance um, services like Coinbase would if they were to lose all of their assets, correct? That's correct. They, they, don't, they don't have their own, you know, internal, like if there's not something that they yeah. paid for. Right. Mm -hmm. But I guess let's try to go towards you know, an insurance service such as like Nexus Mutual. Um, is, this is decentralized insurance. Can you kind of briefly go over how that works? Sure. So technically it's not insurance. It's called cover or smart contract cover, mm -hmm. right? Because they don't they don't want to be uh, labeled as insurance because then they, they have yep. regulation to go through. So they will get very upset with me if I call them insurance. It's very <laughs> uh, similar to insurance. Okay. So in, in that case, in the case of something like Nexus Mutual, um, if they insured these pools, basically if I said, look, I, I put, you know, $10,000 that I've, I've staked. And of course, as you and I have said, my technical risk just from staking is what if that, smart contract gets hacked or exploited and drained out. And I'm left with this coupon that says I own 0.1% of nothing now. Mm -hmm. How do I make myself whole? And that's what yeah. on the, you know, in, in the traditional world, we call that insurance. In the crypto DeFi world, we call it cover. How, how do I get coverage or how do I get indemnified? Basically, how do I get my money back? And with Nexus mm -hmm. Mutual, I can pay a little bit in, of, of premium. I pay a little bit of premium. Uh, um, a, a little fee. And basically they have this pool of money set aside. Nexus Mutual does. It says if the rocket pool pool gets hacked or exploited, anyone who had money in there and can prove it and had purchased cover with us will be made whole up mm -hmm. to the point that they purchase coverage, right? If I got $10,000 in there and I only purchased coverage for a thousand, I'm going to get made whole of the tune of a thousand. Mm -hmm. That makes okay. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so I guess if you're, if you're an advisor trying to explain like proof of stake, this entire ecosystem to a client, that could be a pretty daunting task, I assume. Um, and so can we try to get to, some sort of like core metaphor for people to you know, explain to clients to, you know, really pin down what staking is. You need a metaphor so, such for as, staking? yeah, such as like the, um, uh, what were you with the, the tickets, the raffle tickets, the raffle tickets. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be my, you know, somewhat of a metaphor, right? Just on the kind of mm -hmm. investment part mm -hmm. is the metaphor would be more of kind of like raffle tickets. I'm putting my raffle tickets in. You're putting your, your or not I'm buying, I'm buying raffle tickets. You're buying raffle tickets. Someone else is buying raffle tickets. So just on the investment, just on the, the expectation of some sort of return is mm -hmm. I, I buy my raffle tickets and, and there's a raffle every 13 seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. And every 13 seconds, I got to rebuy. 
right? But I get my yeah. money back. I, like I get my money back, I rebuy. I get my money back, I rebuy. And at some point, I'm going to get my money back. I'm going to rebuy, and my raffle ticket's going to get taken, going to, going to get pulled. Mm-hmm. And not only do I get my money back, but I get my money back plus like four percent or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, or plus okay. twelve or, or whatever. Every so often. Okay, that's how it is from purely an investment perspective. Of course, mm-hmm. there are so many other aspects to staking. Because if it were just that, it would be an investment. It would actually be a speculation, right? But yes. that's not it. it. There's a purpose to it. And the purpose is the security and the progression of the network, right? Mm-hmm. It just so happens that we have to give people an incentive to help us secure the network. And the incentive yeah. is you might get a reward every so often. Okay. And the rewards happen enough that we can be fairly certain as to what your reward is going to be. Right. Okay. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to fluctuate somewhere between four and 6% annually. Mm-hmm. And, and keep okay. in mind, Anthony, this, this is important to note. And this is important for any advisor, anyone who's going to be advisor to advise clients, because we see this like four to 6%. The four to 6% is four to 6% of ETH. Right. So if I put one ETH in, I can expect to get 0.04 ETH extra throughout the year. So at the end of a year, I can expect to have point, uh, 1.04 ETH. Okay. It is not 4% in dollar terms. So if ETH goes down in value during that time, in dollar terms, I'm down money. Mm-hmm. But I have more ETH, right? So the 4 to 6% is in ETH. And it's very important to stipulate because a lot of people, I don't think, understand that, that I might not necessarily be making more money in terms of dollars I can spend, but I have mm-hmm. more ETH. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. So yeah, you put $100 in, you, you're not getting $104 back. You're getting $100 worth of ETH plus that 4% of ETH. Exactly. Okay, great. Um, And so this, just talking about how these different DeFi protocols and how these different centralized exchanges um, do the DeFi staking, um, is there any pr- like advantages to a centralized exchange other than just the ease of use? Uh, I, I think the two things are the ease of use, right? I get to push a button and it's done. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, again, they have insurance. They have really good security pro- protocols in place. Um, they have a public image to uphold, right? Like they, there's kind of public insurance that says it looks really bad if Coinbase gets hacked and exploited and people who stake their ETH lose their money because they'll never do it again. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of potential revenue for a public company that's gone. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the, you know, the, the decentralized don't have those advantages. The, mm-hmm. the decentralized manners of staking don't have those advantages. Now the staking, the, the, I mean, that, that's the, I guess that's the advantage of doing it with a centralized entity, right? Is it's really easy and they have insurance and other ways that, that I feel more comfortable doing. It. Yeah. Okay. And then, so with the decentralized staking, what advantages are there to that? Um, I think one is I get a little bit higher return, right? Because Mm -hmm. Coinbase has to take extra to pay for all their insurance and to pay for their marketing and to pay for their legal team to go to Washington and argue, you know, that staking should not be illegal, um, Mm -hmm. which we all appreciate. The decentralized side, I, you know, I maybe get a little bit more. Um, Again, if I live in a jurisdiction where I don't have access to Coinbase, or don't have access to some sort of centralized system, or I don't trust it, or my bank doesn't interact, then from a decentralized perspective, I don't. It doesn't matter. I I can do that anywhere I am in the world. All I need is an internet mm-hmm. connection. 
Um, mm -hmm. I can, from a decentralized perspective, I can remain anonymous. No one knows who I am. Right? All I did was connect a wallet. My wallet has a whole bunch of strings of numbers and letters that no one knows who I am, theoretically. Mm -hmm. I can remain anonymous, pseudo-anonymous, uh, all those things. It's more transparent. I can go look at what's happening at all times. Potentially, I can go vote on what happens with Lido or Rocket Pool if I have some of their tokens. Right? So mm -hmm. I can be part of the governance of those. So from a, and, and then this doesn't this there's no effect on on this from a um uh investment perspective but from an ethos perspective am i more comfortable with the decentralized version am i more comfortable with yeah. the, the direction we go from a decentralized version in saying i don't if if i keep giving all if i keep doing everything with centralized entities like coinbase which are public entities which are essentially you know at, at the whims of the us government how comfortable do I feel with the direction that DeFi is going if they're just going to go towards mm -hmm. Coinbase and Binance, right? So from yeah. an ethos perspective, I like the, de me personally, I like the decentralized version better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but with this decentralized version, people need help in order to, you know, use their MetaMask wallets, stake their money in Rocket Pool. And that's exactly where an advisor would come in. And so that's that's essentially the opportunity that Bengals advisors have is to help people push forward these ethos to in order to um, further this ecosystem, the decentralized ecosystem. Versus, like Coinbase is great. It's, this is not anti Coinbase, but it's not towards the ethos that you know Bankless or Bengals advisor that we are signing up for. If that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds like we're on the same page when it comes to you know, pushing the ethos of decentralization. Um, and then it's order like, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how to finish this podcast. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, look, the, the gist of it here, I'll, I'll take a step. So the gist of it is anyone, you know, a lot of people listening to this are thinking, all right, how... Like if I want to help clients, if I want to figure out people are paying me and they're saying, look, I need help. I need to decide if I'm going to stake. Like I want to earn some on my ETH. I like ETH um, and maybe I've already decided that and I want to earn something on it. How can I do it? What, what are what are my mm -hmm. options here? And to me, the job of someone who's an advisor, again, whether you're a fiduciary financial advisor or whether you're a guide or an advocate, someone who's just helping other people because some of this stuff gets tricky. Mm -hmm. My feeling is your job is to go through the risks and rewards, not to go, you have to do this in this totally decentralized way, but go, here's the risk and, and reward. Here are the trade-offs here. And if mm -hmm. your job, if your role, if your goal is to go, quote, bankless, if your goal is to get off of the exchanges and say, look, I know that that's easier, but I also know in the long run, it's at some point, and this is no knock against Coinbase, they've been awesome, but they're not that much different from Chase and they're not that much different than Bank of America. And even Coinbase will tell you that our goal, like we're a centralized entity. We're meant to do that. We're going to provide the, the custodial services that a lot of institutions need. But for a lot of people, they're like the point of crypto is to get away from that. The point of crypto is, is to be your own custodian, to hold your own assets. So if I'm an advisor helping someone with that, 
I walk through the different risks and rewards with them. Look, if, if this is your goal, let's, let's walk through why you would want to stake, right? Maybe you want to earn a little bit. Why, you know, we can talk about why in ethos it's good for the network and all that, but what's, what's actually happening here and how we do it safely and securely and what your risks are. Okay. And, and if your risk is, man, this could, this could literally go to zero because from a technical perspective, this could get exploited or a hack. How do we, how, how do we take advantage or how do we um, take that? Hedge against account? that. How do we, he yeah, hedge against that. How do we insure against it? How do we make sure that if that happens, you're still made whole, okay, and do so in an efficient way. How do we, what are the um, realities of what you should expect to earn? What are the realities of what that's worth? Because we talked about the technical risk, we didn't talk about the financial risk, right? ETH could go down in value mm -hmm. while you're doing this, okay? So, yeah. and, and you can't necessarily unstake it right away. So you might not have the opportunity to be like, oh my gosh, some news came out and ETH just dropped from 1,700 to 1,200. And I lost a whole bunch of money. Um, it, it's like, you have to understand that. So if you're an advisor, a guide advocate, yeah. whatever, it's being real with clients about what to expect because we, it can't be all roses all the time. This is the greatest thing ever. You're going to earn so much money. It's here's what you should really expect. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it safely and securely, because we want to make sure as a guide, as an advocate, as an advisor, you want to make sure that people aren't losing their money. Because that's what's going to cause more regulation. And that's what's going to cause fewer people to come into the, the, in, into the ecosystem. And if the goal is to get more people in and more adoption, and do so, then, then we need to do so safely and securely. And we need people's expectations to be there and to be real. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, is the goal. And, and what you and I have talked about this whole time is about, okay, we, you and I, and anyone listening to this, and anyone who's going to be an advisor, probably know so much more about it than anyone that they're working with. And that's okay because you don't know what questions yeah. they're going to have and you need to make sure that they understand what they're doing. Not, not from a tech, not totally from a technical perspective, but they have an understanding of here's what I should expect and why, I, why sh I should expect to do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if they're expecting 5% okay. returns in dollar terms, that might not be there. And if they're expecting, there's a guarantee that this money will never go away and there's no way I can lose it. That's not, that's not a, uh, that's not a, a reasonable expectation it's not valid right yeah okay and clients need to understand that first and foremost exactly clients need to understand advisors yeah. need to understand and, and give the correct information and that was my conversation with adam blumberg if you stayed this long let me know what you would like for me to discuss in future podcasts i hope you learned something new about staking and the current state of crypto regulation Stay tuned for future episodes where I'll explore different approaches to this crypto ecosystem. Thanks for listening.